eternal servant of the secret fire, wielder of the flame of Arnor. The dark fire will not avail you, flame of Uldun! our featured joygasm moment of the week to kick off this episode. <clears throat> Steve. Yeah, Russ. Fellowship of the Ring. It is one of your favorite movies, I think, of all time, if I'm not mistaken. You are not mistaken. Does it still bring you right back to that moment, seeing that scene? Makes me grind my teeth and gives uh, my arms goosebumps. I tell you. <laughs> Gandalf is the man. Every time, uh, I, I think that the whole you shall not pass line will live in infamy. My thoughts, exactly. Pop culture infamy, anyhow. But uh, I think anybody who has seen that film, you just have to utter those words and they, they know precisely what you're talking about. What's really crazy about that film, too, was how long ago it came out. Did it? Well, I think the first one was released in 2001, right? Well, yeah, it, was, it was early 2000, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I believe the first one came out in 2001. And then like each year it came, you know, like the two towers came out in 2002 and then Return of the King came out in 2003. Are you sure about that? I think they were a little bit further apart. I'm not. I, I, I want to say that they came out year after year. In fact, I'm like 99.999% positive. Mm. Simply because I remember that those Lord of the Rings films were up for best picture every year and it kept getting snubbed until the final one, which I believe The Return of the King won best picture and Peter Jackson got best director in 2003. Which is not saying too much. I mean, that, you know, if... if the Fellowship was the best out of the three. That one should have received best picture. Is that one your favorite? Return of the King was was just a bunch of fighting. Yes, it was like the crescendo of the entire you know trilogy. Yep, I was right. Return of the King, two thousand three. Yeah, good job, Russ. Mm-hmm. Great. Anyway, I know more about uh, Lord of the Rings trivia than you. Hmm. Russ, the dates <laughs> don't matter. At least the movie came out. That's the important thing. There you go. But. The first one, it was the foundation. It was more of the dialogue. It was it was getting to know the characters. It was the depth. It was it was the foundation of which the other two were successful. If it wasn't for that first one to draw the audience in, 
Return of the King by itself could not hold a candle. Fellowship of the Ring was, man, I go back and forth. Honestly, I think that Two Towers was probably my favorite just because at that point in time, we had gotten through the exposition from the first, you know, the first film set up who the characters are, what this whole thing is about. And then Two Towers, I mean, they just sprint the whole time through it. And I, I think that one probably is my favorite out of the three, but... Seeing, I mean, again, it's it's t it's tough to know because I, I mean, for me, it tends to be kind of a toss up between Fellowship of the Ring or Two Towers because Fellowship of the Ring, like like to your point, uh, it, it was just there were so many good scenes in that whole thing, and you can tell that it was it was just a passion project of Peter Jackson's, and you don't really see that very often. In fact, if you have just one of those types of, of passion projects that you get to watch and enjoy in your lifetime, then you're a pretty lucky person. And I feel like for us, like, you know, when George Lucas, when he first made episodes four, five, and six for star Wars, we had just been born. We didn't get the, the theater experience of that. And our father did. And even to this day, I mean, he, he loves talking about his initial response to seeing that on the big screen. Uh, but I feel like Lord of the Rings was kind of like our turn for something like that, where it was this huge movement that came out of nowhere. There was this little tiny studio out of New Zealand that no one had heard of at that point in time. And it was amazing to be able to watch this thing unfold, especially considering the fact that it was a fantasy genre, which before the early 2000s, you really didn't have much of a fantasy presence. Right. It wasn't very popular. It really wasn't. I mean, like, you had like certain uh, like 80s classics. Like there was like Legend with Tim Curry and Tom Cruise. Uh, I mean, you had like Dark Crystal from Jim Henson. That and, was way early. Yeah. I mean, you, you, had, you did have a bit of a, of a fantasy representation in the 80s. But you really didn't have much in the way of fantasy in terms of like hitting it big where like it really just just um, it touched a, a collective nerve with society and it just turned into this huge ordeal. And Lord of the Rings, I mean, it was just so well done. I mean, I mean it, wasn't, it wasn't even limited to the United States. I mean, it was just a worldwide phenomenon. Everyone couldn't get enough of it. And of course, you know, he went on to make the whole bitch. Well, he made the whole thing to get from the get-go. Yeah. Um, but it's funny you say fantasy because earlier this week I had put The NeverEnding Story mm. on my Netflix list. Another 80s classic. And I put on the, like, the 70s cartoon of The Hobbit. I haven't seen it. I've been curious. So it was available. I added it. Mm. Very nice, Steve. That particular scene that we just watched, would you say that was your favorite scene from Fellowship of the Ring? Mm, it's de it definitely ranks up there with them. It, it ranks up there. Yeah. I don't know. Um, there, there's there's so many di different scenes. I mean, I, I love the scene like in the beginning with with uh, Gandalf and the fireworks and Bilbo talking about how he's spread across, you know, like butter spread across too much. You know, right, bread, right. Yeah, you spread so thin, you know. All the dialogue is absolutely beautiful. And with the fireworks and the kids all looking, you know, looking at the fireworks and listening to everyone's stories, like Bilbo's stories. Sure, and trolls. sure. And then that whole thing with, um, you know, that segues into Bilbo wanting to keep the ring and Gandalf saying, no, I don't think this is for you. There's something to miss here. And I mean, it, it doesn't let you go. And the music 
and the scenery. I mean, looking at the Shire. A little late for trimming the verge, don't you think? (laughs) The Shire is on my bucket list. I will visit the Shire Mm. in New Zealand. Before I die. Apparently, that is one of the longest plane trips. I think it's clocked in at about 24 hours-ish. 20 to 24, somewhere around there. Worth it, Russ. A lot of good hiking in in New Zealand, too. Absolutely. But, uh, no, that that movie was straight out of my imagination. Literally, like, leapt off the page into my mind and then onto the screen. I don't know how Peter Jackson um, got into my brain, but he did. Yeah, I think, especially when it comes to that particular scene, up until that point, we really haven't seen Gandalf show off any of his magical powers. We've seen little things like, you know, his fireworks, but those are the fireworks. They're not really him. Uh, You see um, his fighting capabilities, like with the cave troll and that sort of thing. You know, he's definitely... Capable. <laughs> Capable. <yeah. He's> stronger <laughs> than he looks. Yes, yes. But it, it was at that moment where we had heard about this creature that was wreathed in uh, flame and shadows, so to speak. And, um, you know, I would say the closest thing before that was his, um, it was his fight with Saruman. Right. Which I believe was, that took place beforehand. It did play, yeah. Um, and that, that's, this was like three quarters. This was third act. Yeah, yeah. This was definitely third act. Um, so yeah, and and that particular scene was really cool too. I mean, seeing those two wizards go at it and like you can't see what's happening, but they're feeling the pain of whatever. Basically, it is. using the force. Yeah, <laughs> but still, I mean, I remember like like being in the theater going, "Dude, this is this is compelling to watch. This is really really cool." I got to say, though, I think the Balrog is because of just the, the visual spectacle of things. I think that one wins out in terms of just really seeing what Gandalf is capable of. And just as his uh, bravery, the character just being in that that position of knowing there's certain doom and, you know, just everything was so well acted, so well executed, the pacing and everything. And of course, we see him at the end there. uh just let go right. with the the famous like, line. Ah, you fools. Yeah, <laughs> and if you remember, he didn't want to go that way, Russ. He was wanting to go over the past, the past of Serapis. Mm-hmm. And um, Gimli was wanting to go to the mines. Right. So finally, Frodo caved in because they were freezing to death, and Saruman was casting the lightning and the, the you know, mini avalanches upon them. And they had any choice; they had to go to the mines. Being a jerk. Yeah, really. And so I think Gandalf knew his fate, and uh, he just took it and stride that ass. Not the end of me. I've seen how I die, <laughs> and this is not it. The biggest thing for me, too, was I remember just really quickly, I, I remember thinking to myself, after I had seen Fellow of the Ring, first of all, I had never read the books. So <laughs> I was just, my mouth was just shooting off a thousand questions to my friends who had read the books. And so I remember distinctly going to a restaurant afterwards and getting uh, some dessert and drinks and coffee, you know, that kind of sort of thing, coffee and... <laughs> coffee, co- uh, coffee, yeah. Yeah, coffee. Co- yeah. Cocktails, coffee, yeah. yeah. And... Uh, Jack Daniels. <laughs> <laughs> a little Kahlua in my coffee. And um, I remember, like, just talking about it and, like, thinking to myself, man, like, if I was Peter Jackson before the sequel, what I would do is I would have the intro to Two Towers actually start out 
with the camera following Gandalf down with the Balrog down that, that pit. And it was insane how when the two towers finally came into the theaters, they did exactly that. And I, oh my goodness, I had such like goosebumps down my entire body and chills because of just being totally in sync with kind of like that, that cinematic direction that Peter Jackson was taking. It was, it was just, oh, it was amazing. Anyway, you are listening to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, Xbox Live Toaster 360. He's Steve, Xbox Live Steveovich. And the battle for stream supremacy just got real in episode 134 today, August 8th, 2019. We have a fun show for you planned today. Uh, gaming news focuses on a holy grail Nintendo cartridge getting sold for buku bucks. And the latest DLC character for Soul Calibur 6 getting released. Movie news includes MoviePass additional findings that are naughty. Amazon's Lord of the Rings series details. Hey, little Lord of the Rings action. You just can't get away from it. And the Game of Thrones creators leaving HBO, followed, of course, by Disney Plus details that have emerged from the Fox acquisition. Our topic of the day is Ninja, Mixer, and the Streaming Wars, which you can fast forward to if you look at the timestamps located in this episode's details section of iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, etc. Otherwise, just keep listening. Steve. Yes, Ross. How are you? Quite busy, quite buried with wedding details. Oh, it's starting to get closer. Hit the fan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are experiencing uh, what every couple goes through. No, we're not. Okay. Every couple's not dealing with one state to the other state and one country to the other country, Russ. Okay. Most couples are dealing with the stuff within the same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, no, it's not every couple. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Oh, that water's good. <clears throat> every couple, Steve has their own unique challenges when it comes to scheduling the big day. And it's important to maintain your cool mm-hmm. and to be as supportive as you can. Oh, I'm supportive, all right, Russ. <laughs> I'm like your jock strap. Oh, That's my. How supportive I am. Somehow that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> In addition to you uh, having to go through the, the various I have logistics. not been playing anything, if you, that's what you were going You have to. not played the anything. The only thing I played this week mm. was when you invited me over at 9.24 p.m. and said, hey, by the way, we're streaming Resident Evil 2. Mm-hmm. Get over here and make sure you drive fast so you can get here in six minutes and not the 10 minutes that it takes you. Exactly. So and make sure you wear... The banana suit. Man. <laughs> so I stopped by a cop and he had to ask me about the banana suit and I had to tell him this long story. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, it was a lot of fun to be able to watch you play Resident Evil 2. I cannot get enough of just sitting on the couch and just going through those motions. It just it totally brings back the good old day, Steve. When you were having some conversation with somebody, I'm, I'm looking at you and like... You want me to come over to play this game? Now you're on your phone. I'm like, hey, you're talking to somebody. All that text is calling. What are you doing? 
And you were having like some long conversation about with some person. Yeah, no, we were talking about the game. They were asking if we were playing in the dark and I said, no, the lights are dimmed, but we were not playing in the dark. And they were saying how it's like the only way to play is uh, in the dark. And uh, he has, uh, has not played this particular rendition of Resident Evil 2, but he's really wanting to. And yeah, it was just, it was fun to be able to, to have little... Little chit chat. There you go in the the Twitch streams while you're playing, and so you know I, went, I do. I don't want you to think that you were abandoned by any means, do you? We did were you, we were all in this together. Did you uh, tell him about the show? Uh, yeah, he knows about the show. Yes. Oh, nice. Yes, absolutely. Fantastic. Did you say? Did he say I'm awesome? Uh, no, no I, I don't believe that. he said anything yeah. about that. He he actually commented that uh, he was surprised to that I was uh, more of the backseat gamer in this instance. I, and I, I quickly responded by saying that Steve is the Resident Evil Pro. The I, What I should have said is the resident Resident Evil Pro. And uh, that it's always uh, fun to watch him uh, squeal. So it's a lot of fun. And you did pretty well, I must say, considering that there was that, that little hard puzzle that kind of delayed well, us for about 30 minutes. And then, you know, you, you figured it out. You got through it and, and we got on to the next part. Actually, I don't think it would. I don't, I don't think the puzzle was actually that hard. I just really think that it was either the color or like the brightness in your TV or something because I was stranding and I and I think I kept on walking past the, the open door. <laughs> Like every single time, and finally I, I stumbled upon, oh, there's an opening in the wall right here. Oh, I can fit through it. Oh, here's where I'm supposed to go. Yeah, yeah. You have beaten that game already as Claire. Yep. So where we left off during the Twitch stream, how close are we to are we to the end? Very close. We're like we the, are. We're like, like the last quarter of the game. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good to know, Steve. Yeah, about done with that one. I actually can't remember from the original Resident Evil 2. Uh, just, I feel like there, or maybe I'm getting the scenes from the first Resident Evil mixed in with the Resident you Evil 2. You probably are. Because I do remember certain things from the first Resident Evil game. I honestly, let me ask you this. Do you hope that Capcom makes a remake of the first Resident Evil game, like with this graphics engine? Um... I mean, I, yes and no. I would, I would definitely play it, but since I played the first one and then I played the one on GameCube, I think I, I've, I've kind of had my fill of the first <laughs> Resident Evil, mm-hmm. and I think you can actually still get the game on Xbox Live. Okay. I don't know if I'd. I would be curious. I don't know if I'd really be intent on playing it in like one whole, you know, playthrough mm. in one sitting. I'd probably put the game in, played a little bit, take it out, play something else, put it back in after some time had gone by. That sort of thing. I don't know. So is there another Resident Evil title that you prefer that they do? No, I think they're actually, they, they're upping the resolution on, I think, Resident Evil 4. But, and that one was different and it was cool, but I, that one, um, I don't think I'd play it through again. The class, the one and two were definitely the best in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Well. Interesting uh, little tidbits for me there, Steve. Nah, I'm, maybe Code Veronica. I don't know. Code Veronica was a good game for Dreamcast. Yeah. Absolutely. And also, too, even if they were to make a brand new Resident Evil that continued the story. I know the, you were saying the story got a little wonky there for a bit, and then they um, got back to basics, I think. But the thing is, they 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 played the zombie thing out so much. I mean, this, this really started the whole domino effect with the zombie games. Yeah. 
And so everything was coming out, zombie, zombie, zombie. You know, just to get back in that whole craze again. And I, I, nah, I think I'd pass. <laughs> you can only hear so much moldy droney. Oh, you know you love it. <laughs> you crave it. Sound enough like that every single morning. I don't need to be reminded in my, my video games. Did you watch anything? I finished Narcos Mexico. Oh, and it, was it delightful? It was good. It's captivating. Not, it's not as good as bueno. the first three seasons, which this one's kind of its own separate, but it's still part of the same yeah. like series. Kind of a standalone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Still good though. Still worth a watch. I see. And then if you remember when we watched Venom, I said, it's on my Netflix list. I don't think I'll take it off. I think I'll watch it again. Well, it came in the mail. Ah. I gave it another go. And? Still good. It's really good. I turned it up a little bit louder. I don't know if we've talked about this. In fact, I don't think... Yeah, I don't believe that we've actually talked about this. I don't even have it in the notes, so we'll just talk about it right now. Did you hear about who's directing Venom 2? No. Andy Serkis. What? Really? Yes. That's nuts. It's official. Sony has hired Andy Serkis to be the director for Venom 2. And of course, Tom Hardy's coming back and everything else. I think that's a fabulous call just because Venom is such a character-driven movie. And I think that Andy can really provide a lot of valuable insight as to just how to... um, play a character like that to Tom Hardy and Tom's already done a great job. Yeah. But I would love to see what Andy brings to the mix. That's so gonna be crazy. You know, there you go. It's a kind of a out yeah. of whack placement. And uh, normally we talk about movie news, but actually I just, I didn't have that in my list of stuff to talk about, but Hey, you know, there you go. <laughs> a little something for you. So for me, I actually spent uh, quite a bit of time with the Dota. Uh, she, of course, is obsessed with Raymond Legends, so we are going through... I think I'm actually probably eventually going to score, like, a absolute perfect completion in that game because I've already beat it through the story itself. But, of course, they have all these things you can collect and, uh, you know, you can unlock some other things, and she just keeps wanting to play it. So I'm like, okay, let's keep playing. And uh, it's just kind of funny because I keep getting all these little rare achievements because, <laughs> like, I don't think anybody else really is, like that hardcore about it because there are so many levels in this game and they've included the the older games of uh, Rayman Origins into Rayman Legends so it's basically like we're playing through two whole games I also got the digital version of the Avengers Endgame with all the bonus material so I was kind of sifting through some of that one of the things I did do is I listened to the director's commentary as the as the movie was uh, being played so it's cool to be able to just listen to some of these guys I haven't listened to a director's commentary or really any commentary for that matter when it comes to movies in a while. It's always funny to me how um, soft-spoken and calm a lot of the people are where they're just kind of like, yeah, no, I don't remember this part. I'm like, what what, what did you say? And you turn it up and like, there'll be breaks where they stop talking and all of a sudden the the movie sound comes back in. It's like super loud and stuff. But it was was still really enjoyable to be able to go through that. Steve. Mm Mm-hmm. What is your joygasm highlight of the week? Personally for you. <laughs> of the three things I did, I... I went- bet you I can guess it, Steve. What's that, Russ? I bet you just had it. 
about two minutes ago. No. With Andy Serkis directing Venom 2. Um, no, I wouldn't say that. Uh, I would probably say, if I were to have a joygasm highlight of the week, it would probably be that there's they're making another Narcos season. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough, Steve. My personal joygasm highlight of the week was I received a package from ClassicStills.com. Have you heard of Classic Stills, Steve? Only by name and reputation. That's a no. <laughs> Classic Stills is a company that... Uh, so they, they, their business is completely specialized around licensing various well-known movies ah. and being able to have these like really well-done uh, photo prints ah. that are frames from the movie. Oh, wow. So, for instance, they they uh, spoke with like um, the, you know, like Dan Aykroyd and Ivan Reitman and whatnot from Ghostbusters. So they actually have uh, official licensing rights to be able to go through the, the film uh-huh. and be able to take just like a little, like one a, of the- A snippet, a glimpse. The, yeah, the little yeah, 35 millimeter film, just sure. take a frame yeah, okay. and then be able to blow it up and uh-huh. then turn it into- uh-huh. A really nice print that is uh, matted. They mat and frame for uh-huh. you, and they send it to you. Uh-huh. And it's limited edition, so there's only so many that are there. But it's it's officially licensed. Comes with a certificate of authenticity. Steve, mm-hmm. I'm here to tell you, I got two for Marvel's Avengers Endgame, Steve. Mm-hmm. Very very nice indeed. If I remember correctly, I got ones that are 14 by 22. And what's really cool about it is uh, the the particular size I got, but they only they only made thirty five of them. I got number two for both. <laughs> Edition number two out of thirty five, and one of them has Tony Stark with the Infinity Gauntlet, the Iron Man Gauntlet, and he's right about to snap his fingers and you see the look of conviction on his face and he's a bit bloodied and battered and bruised up and stuff and you see it right there. It's a great moment. The second one is of Captain America. Captain America. Right when he calls upon Thor's hammer and you see him clutch it for the first time. I do believe those two visual moments are iconic in pop culture, Steve. And I'm very happy to be able to have those in my possession. By the way, speaking of which, I washed the comic crud off the shirt you bought me. Ah, good. And I was nervous washing it because the shirt is relatively light, but you got to wash it with light colors because it's got colors. You know what I'm saying, Russ? I do. My shirts tend to be quite colorful, Steve. So I had to keep that water as gold as it could, Russ. And I pulled it out (laughs) and it didn't bleed anywhere. Oh, good. Thank goodness. Has it shrunk to your appropriate level? I haven't put it on yet, Russ. I bet you it fits like a cute nightshirt on you, Steve. You know what I was Little thinking? Little toesies just peeking out the bottom. Oh, you're so cute. I want to lift you up and squeeze you. Look like Deadpool from Deadpool 2. <laughs> um, <laughs> on the couch? Yeah. Little baby legs sticking out. So I was thinking I would just take a little selfie with it and throw it up on Insta. Go for it. You know what I'm saying? And just wear that and nothing else. <laughs> 
I'm sure you'll get all kinds of comments and views. <laughs> yeah. Is that his foot? Is that a third leg? What is that? <laughs> Tripod. <laughs> It's been a minute since we've had gaming news. Or music. That's true. <laughs> to start things off, this is a really, really cool story I've been wanting to share with you, Steve. The headline reads, Holy Grail of rare Nintendo cartridges traded into Seattle Game Shop. Pink Gorilla Games owner Cody Spencer has revealed that the store paid $13,000 for the Nintendo World Championship 1990 cartridge. Spencer says he judged the condition. In Spencer's words, quote, it wasn't in the best condition, end quote. But he did some research and then explained that it usually sells for $15,000 to $20,000 in good condition. According to Spencer, the seller took that offer happily. The price Pink Gorilla Games then said the cartridge uh, was for and the identity of the second buyer remains a secret. So they already sold the cartridge for at least that much money, if not more. Apparently, there are about 348 copies of this game with a gold version of about 28 copies that, get this, are worth upwards of $100,000. It's time to go rifling through the old NES cartridges there, Steve. You know, the wifey might not like video games, but then when you sell them, bring home 13 Benjamins. Uh, actually, yeah, they're, no, a lot more than that. Uh, <laughs> then she starts to like Benjamins and video games. I'm telling you, I think it's so important to not get rid of the old school systems or the games. I think that it's entering into a very unique vintage pop culture phenomenon right now, especially with new generations that didn't grow up with it, but they're just as curious and eager to want to be able to experience those games, that sort of thing. Also, another thing worth mentioning okay. is as we keep going and going and going into this more digital copy, like the world of like non-physical goods or physical products, just think 20 years from now, there probably won't be any kind of physical CD or other type of medium that the games will be on. It'll just be, oh, you want to download that game? Yeah, download it. It's vaporware. Well, it's not vaporware, but it's like, it's just, you don't actually own yeah. anything physical. It's not vaporware. It's vapor rub. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, one other thing about this is, is I was curious about this cartridge. I was thinking, I haven't really heard about this. Apparently, they were given to winners at Nintendo Gaming Championships and also some winners of uh, Nintendo Power Magazine. So if you are one of those winners that have a 1990 championship NES cartridge, hold on to that puppy. Make sure it's in good condition. And if you need to make some money... Just stop by one of those places that sells and, you know, buy, sells, trades, retro games, because I think you're going to make a, a pretty penny off that little piece of history there. Gaming history. A pretty penny off that piece of pie. That's, yeah. That's a nice little alliteration for you. The other little fun tidbit of uh, gaming news I have is that the Soul Calibur 6 latest DLC character has dropped. And to really no one's surprise, it is in fact Cassandra. If you recall, there was a lot of speculation as to what the, the next DLC character was going to be. And some people were pretty savvy and they were going through some of the source code on the PC version of Soul Calibur 6. If I remember correctly, I believe some people found the name Cassandra 
somewhere listed in the code, which led people to speculate, I, you know, oh, they think it's going to be this next character, and they were right! So the uh, the relative of Sophitia is, uh, is in the game as well. Cassandra is also a very popular choice. What I'm very excited about with this game is that they're not going to stop with the first season pass. Apparently, the season two pass has been greenlit, and that means more characters and more levels. I'm all for that, Steve, when it comes to Soul Calibur Six. Now, did you have any comments on that, Steve? No. I just hope they just uh, keep making the Soul Calibers on up through the, uh, the next system. You know what I'm saying, Russ? Well, the soul burns, Steve. The soul burns. <laughs> Going over to some movie news, we have quite a few things here to go over. I've been dying to talk to you about Steve as well yeah, as our listeners. I don't believe you. Remember Movie Pass? Yes, Russ. You say that, you ask me about Movie Pass like every fourth or fifth episode. <laughs> There's just more and more details that keep coming out. Businessinsider.com had this brand new report that shed new details on what's going on. Let me tell you, those people over there, uh, you know, maybe not necessarily the staff per se, but the uh, the leadership, we'll we'll just say uh, they're not the most uh, honest, forthcoming people. A uh, four-month investigation by Business Insider chronicles the rise and fall of the movie ticket subscription startup MoviePass. They tell the story of co-founder Stacy Spikes, who sought to shake up the uh, tired movie theater business by starting a subscription service. Enter Florida businessman Ted Farnsworth, who injected much-needed cash into the company and introduced the risky idea of lowering the monthly subscription price to an impossibly low $9.95 a month. Of course, the price change helped MoviePass become a sensation, but it also led to the ousting of spikes and the use of questionable tactics to keep the company afloat. So what was interesting to me is that I personally didn't know that there was anybody by the name of Stacy Spikes involved with this. I knew of uh, Mitch Lowe and this other guy here who were like the kind of the, the two head honchos of the thing. Apparently, Stacy Spikes was the one who came up with the entire idea in the first place, and then they ended up ousting the poor guy from his his baby through like a board of directors vote and uh, they ended up driving into the ground. Now, one of the things I thought was particularly interesting is if you recall, they started doing things where they would like lock out users or like, you know, you try and use movie pass at a theater and it would say, Oh, uh, this movie uh, isn't supported by movie pass in this theater or whatever. Well, if you go into this article, I highly recommend you guys go read this on your own time. But essentially what was going on was that you had the CEO who told his developers to lock out somewhere upwards of like 40% of the subscribers, specifically during tentpole movies. So for instance, if you recall when the, when the Mission Impossible movie came out just uh, like last year with Tom Cruise, remember how like there was like all this like irritation and frustration from the movie pass customers who couldn't they couldn't get it to work it's because he told his crew to actually change their passwords change the customers passwords so that when they went to log into their app on their phone they couldn't get in to use movie pass for a movie that they knew that a lot of people would go to see <laughs> the same thing happened with avengers when avengers came out avengers infinity war it was insane because they were freaking out since they were they were hemorrhaging so much cash. They knew that there would be tons and tons and tons of people going to go see it. So they did they did the same thing again. 
I mean, dude, it is so fraudulent. And what's crazy thing was is like after reading this this uh, article, see, I'm still an activated MoviePass subscriber. I went into MoviePass to try and cancel it because I'm just thinking that's 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 it. I, I there is just so much dishonesty and fraudulent activity. I mean, it honestly, it, it, there's probably some illegal activity going on with, with this stuff. They're, they've already been delisted from Nasdaq. I can't actually go in and cancel my uh, my subscription because they currently have their entire platform temp temporarily, quote unquote, down. So no one's able to get in right now because they're doing some sort of major update or whatever it is. It's been like that since July 4th. So it's been like almost a month and a half of it, of it being down. I don't know if it's ever going to get resurrected. If it does, though, I am out of here. I'm canceling that. It is just woo, crazy. Got any thoughts on that there, Steve? You're shaking your head. You're looking disapproved. Pretty see, Russ, I never had that problem because when I want to go see a movie, I go see a movie. I don't have to build up any points. I don't have to pay any subscription services. I just go in. I see it. I'll leave. Now, the next story revolves around Amazon. They, of course, have the Lord of the Rings. Uh, it's almost like an original series that they got locked Weren't in place. were they talking about this like years ago? It's been in development for a while. Apparently, season one will have 20 episodes. So, according to a, let's see, Professor and J.R.R. Tolkien scholar Tom Shippey, Amazon's Lord of the Rings is confirmed, yeah. And, and it's, well, okay. He says it may contain 20 episodes. Oh, uh, it may. So it's it's back and forth. So when's it coming out, Russ? I don't know, Steve. That, uh, I can't tell you. You'll have to try and do some digging on that one. I'm not exactly sure when. I don't even know if they've given a release date for it yet, but I thought you'd be happy to know. I mean, 20 episodes, even if they hit 18 episodes, that's pretty good. I, that's, I mean, that, that's good, Russ. Provided that you know, the series is in fact really, really good. I think that you're going to be quite the happy man. I think I will, you even are. though I'm not an Amazon prime subscriber yet. So, um, you know, Oh, I didn't know that. I thought you were. <laughs> are you? I am. Oh, party at Russ's house. <laughs> All right. Russ, what's your Amazon password so I can log in? <laughs> I have the, uh, the app on my, on my TV. I can still <laughs> use your account <laughs> and, and log in. Netflix signs Game of Thrones showrunners David Benioff and D.B. Weiss for massive overall deal. The Hollywood Reporter said that Netflix, or yeah, Netflix announced Wednesday that it has signed a major deal with Game of Thrones showrunners. Um, the duo will write, produce, and direct new movies and TV shows for the streaming giant. Guess how much their deal is valued at, Steve? Two hundred and thirty million dollars. How did you know? That was a random guess, actually. Uh, well, okay, you're close. It's two hundred mil. But still, okay. 230 mil. That's not bad, yeah, dude. Okay. I'll just 30 mil off, you know. The pact with Netflix marks the end of a competitive race between six studios, including Warner Media, Disney, Comcast, Amazon, and Apple, to court the producers following the conclusion of Game of Thrones in May. You know what's funny about that is seeing Disney's name in there. Because, I mean, Game of Thrones is one of the most violent, messed up, double crossing, betraying. Ancestual. Uh, yeah. Just, <laughs> Man. Being chest. And Disney's over there like, oh, oh, 
Hey guys! Oh, is there money to be made? I think you're really talented. Come over here. Oh, I'll close my eyes and you guys run the show. Oh. Uh, for some reason, I don't think that Disney would be uh, interested in that. It's gonna be a new area of the theme park, Russ. You haven't heard about it yet, but uh, they're gonna make it a, a uh, Game of Thrones attraction. Speaking, <laughs> that would be an interesting ride to be on. <laughs> Who'd be riding who? Speaking of Disney, Disney Plus is developing Home Alone and three other Fox movies as streaming shows. Variety reports that Disney CEO Bob Iger revealed that Home Alone, Night at the Museum, Cheaper by the Dozen, and The Diary of a Wimpy Kid will be developed into Disney Plus streaming shows. Iger also said that the Fox film development slate will be scrapped and taken, quote, in a new direction following a $170 million operating loss for Q3 that was in part due to the lackluster performance of X-Men Dark Phoenix that just came out. And, uh, you know, I feel as though you and I could have told Disney that. We could have been, you know, kind of the, these little liaisons of uh, wisdom and say, hey, you know, um, that movie doesn't look too good. We're, we're, we're not even going to go see it. And actually, what's another little twisty twist, Steve? I've heard rumors about how Disney, again, this is totally rumors. I have a feeling that they, when it comes to some of the, these uh, IPs, like X-Men in particular, for instance, I think they were intentionally hands-off with films such as Dark Phoenix that came out recently because that was more of like the Fox side of things. And they're probably going to be doing a reboot of the franchise for the MCU. I wouldn't doubt it. That needs a reboot. It totally needs a reboot. And I'm very, very anxious and excited to see what Kevin Feige's crew is able to come up with because it's going to be, I think it's going to be fantastic. And that is your movie news, Steve. Didn't they hint at something? I, I since remember a, a scene where you see Wolverine's helmet, like his classic helmet. When? I forgot what which Marvel movie you see it in, but you see it in a movie and it's got like, you know, his, the, the the black stuff that kind of comes out to the angles like that. And it's yellow. It's like his old costume, like the helmet of his of his of his yellow costume. I have no idea. I have to find it. Spray paint your hair in obnoxious color. It's time for the topic of the day. Good. Looks like it got a big gust of wind and froze. Hmm. And it looks like the wind was also blowing different flavors of cotton candy mm-hmm. mixed with your hair. Mm-hmm. And now it looks like you can almost eat your hair. <laughs> 
Our topic of the day is Ninja Mixer and the looming streaming wars. One of the big stories that came out over this past week is that Ninja is no longer on Twitch. He struck a deal with Microsoft to exclusively stream on their Mixer platform. He sold his soul to Microsoft, is basically it. He's now Microsoft's slave, Russ. <laughs> well, I'm not, I don't know, Steve. I'm he not so sure about that. play whatever Microsoft asks him to play. Well, but see, I don't think they're going to do that. Really? Their big thing is they want to up their numbers. If you were to look at some of the statistics of where Mixer falls with the other streaming mm-hmm. platforms, they're actually pretty low. They don't have... Nearly the the membership base, so well, their their whole thing is they want to bring more people into Mixer to watch. Yeah, well, you know what? They got to make that sure the thing works. Every time I've ever gone on to Mixer, it mm-hmm. doesn't work. Every time I'm like, oh, I want to go, you know, maybe watch somebody play some games, hmm. maybe learn a thing or two about you know upping up my game. Mm. Oh sure, and it doesn't work for me. And of course, I haven't tried it in like months. But yeah. the reason I haven't tried it in a long time was because every time I load it up, it would it would crash on me. Hmm. I haven't had that problem. I Whenever I go into Mixer and I'm just wanting to watch somebody, it seems to work okay for me. I, I will say I think their UI does need a little bit of polish just because it's difficult to be able to select certain buttons and the you know it's not as naturally intuitive as I would prefer, but, um, you know. Some, some spit and shine. Yeah. <laughs> little TLC on there. <laughs> so what's interesting about... Ninja. First of all, I think it's fun to be able to talk about uh, Mr. Ninja. Mr. He um, came from just normal beginnings, just like people like you and I. I think it's it's a, a terrific success story about what he was has well, really what he has been able to do over the last like two to three years. And before this, I believe he was working at like a bagel shop or something. And then he just started playing Fortnite when it came out and he was just exceptionally good at the game and just really quickly, I must say he, he developed a a big fan following on Twitter as well as YouTube, um, even on social media as well. I think that part of it has to do with obviously the fact that he's one of the best Fortnite players, but also too, I think he has a really cool personality, something that I think within the gaming community that people, it just resonates with folks. He's, he's got a good sense of humor. Uh, He's respectful when he plays the game. Um, He's not too cocky or anything like that. So it's, it's really crazy to see. I mean, just looking at, what all has happened since he's played that game? I mean, if you look at his sponsors, for instance, like Red Bull is, is a prominent sponsor of Ninja. And also just looking at a lot of the, the gigs that he's been able to do, it's, it's amazing to me. And so looking at this thing with Microsoft, no one knows how much Microsoft threw at him. There's plenty of speculation out there, but... Microsoft, of course, has deep pockets. They have an incredible amount of money. And so even the money that they offered him, I think it's really in the grand scheme of things is just kind of chump change to Microsoft. But to any one of us, I mean, it would be like amazing. I'm curious how much it is, though. I would say if I had to make some sort of speculative guess, 
I think they probably offered him somewhere around $10 million. And that could be different. I mean, it, 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 it's difficult to know for sure. But what, what I do know after looking up some numbers is that uh, I think it was last year he made around $10 million through all of his sponsorships and all of the uh, the ads and, and, and the subscriptions and stuff. He would have to make more than that then because if Microsoft goes, oh, he made $10 million last year and you're more popular this year, you still got all your, your merch mm-hmm. and you still got your ad revenue, your subscriber base. How about we just give you another $10 million? And just leave your bed. I don't. I think it's more. It could be. I think they would have to wet his whistle with probably at least twenty. Twenty mil. I would say at least. There are people online who have guessed in the area of twenty to twenty-five million. And again, that could totally be the case. I would say twenty to fifty. When the and that yeah. range of twenty to fifty. It is a bit of a risk, and I think it's. I think we should talk about that for a minute. Okay, Russ, let's talk. So Twitch is one of the, the, the bit, well, it pretty much is like the biggest, I would say outside of YouTube and really YouTube is a bit different too. Like YouTube is more about just uploading your videos. Yeah. They have the streaming component in there, but what's weird is that in terms of how they have built their, their mind share, um, around their product is it's all around the idea of you upload videos and people can watch your videos. Whereas Twitch from the ground up always was about streaming. It was about that live component. And so they've been able to win over Mindshare when it comes to folks who, when they want to be live, Twitch is kind of the place to go. And what's interesting too is that it's not just about gaming anymore. You have a lot of creatives who use it as an outlet to give tutorials. And you have folks who perhaps are doing more of the classic gaming, like D&D, that sort of thing. And they, they broadcast that too. Really, I think Twitch is becoming um, a very broad place for a lot of things that perhaps don't get a lot of representation on, you know, the the old school TV on like your cable networks or even on on YouTube necessarily. Um, so it's interesting to see how he decided to leave because again, he he also built up his empire predominantly on Twitch. That was his thing was like, I mean, yeah, he, he would send out videos and stuff to YouTube and he had a, I mean, I think he had like 22 million subscribers on uh, YouTube, if I'm not mistaken, but looking at the amount of time spent where obviously what's really important is making sure that, that your fans know where you're going to stream and when you're going to stream and for him to walk away from that, obviously it was really cool because they had some pretty aggressive marketing through Microsoft where they had this big announcement of him moving to Mixer. So I think most of his fans probably know by now where he's streaming. But it's still, I think it's a risky venture just because uh, Twitch is a larger, at this point in time, is a larger platform than Mixer. Yeah, and I think... Mixer, well, I have, I'm a little bit mixed. I'm a little mixed. You have a little mixed feelings about Mixer? feeling about it. So I think Twitch, I think there's an identity crisis with both Mixer and Twitch. I think Mixer might be more game focused than Twitch. And so I'm wondering if it's, if it might've been an easy move for him because you think of Twitch and all that Twitch does. I mean, Twitch just does a lot more stuff than just games. Mixer kind of does it too, but 
Mixer is more focused with the, I mean, it's Microsoft games, but it's more game focused. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I would, I would say, I mean, yeah, the money would have been, it was a pretty sweet pop, but I think it might've been an easy jump over there just because, uh, I think if, if Twitch doesn't identify who they're trying to be and what they actually do, then, uh, then a lot more folks might be going to Mixer, not just because of Ninja, but just because they want to uh, focus more on the games. One of the shrewd moves that Microsoft has done with her Mixer platform is make it available to both their Xbox gamers and PC gamers. Mm. And I think that that constant strategy has paid off for them in more ways than one. I, for one, really do enjoy how if I purchase a first-party game from Microsoft Studios or Xbox Game Studios, as I think they are now called, Steve. What I think is really cool is that I can uh, play it either on my Xbox system or I can play it on my Windows machine. Well, of course you can, Russ. Well, that's what's, what's really cool about it is that you don't have to go out and buy the game twice. You can just have that option, that flexibility to be able to play it. And I think that that just it goes in really nicely with Mixer because at first my knee-jerk reaction was, oh, no, they just alienated all these fans of Ninja who don't have Xboxes. But then I stopped myself and I thought, oh, wait a minute. No, Mixer is also available for PC and he probably predominantly plays on PC. So it ends up working out quite well. I do see risk though in terms of, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm pretty interested in seeing how this whole thing, no pun intended, plays out. Well, you got, he did, Ninja didn't make Twitch. I mean, Twitch is not going to be broken because Ninja's not there. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, fam following is going to leave. But I mean, if if you like Twitch and, and Twitch plays your games and you have a bunch of personalities that you enjoy watching play in those games, then I mean, you're just going to go back to Twitch. Yeah, no, I hope I wasn't saying or insinuating or making you think uh, uh, that Twitch was broken or that they're going to fail with without Ninja. I'm saying I'm wondering how much risk Ninja is taking on because, for instance, I could totally see in the contract Microsoft saying, okay, you know, we expect your numbers to be at this level for the next year and we expect growth and this sort of thing. And there are certain milestones like stretch goals that we want you to hit. If you don't hit them, then there could be like some kind of repercussion with regards to how much they're paying him, or maybe they cut his contract short. Not that he's hurting for money at this point because he's a, he's a multimillionaire, but I'm just looking at it in terms of whether or not it was a good deal for Ninja. It's probably when Phil Spencer was walking around the office then just sitting there at the table Phil Spencer says, yeah, we're going to expect some growth or there might be some repercussions. And that's when he like takes a pencil and like breaks their eraser off it right at Ninja's <laughs> ear. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Sorry about that. Anyway, moving on with the meeting. Yeah, really. <laughs> I'm really, you know, what I think is fascinating about this particular story is it is another story in a series that we've been seeing over the last year or two where there is serious money being thrown at this whole kind of esports, like live streaming, game streaming kind of platform that we've never seen ever. And I think it's it's super cool to be able to see the next generation of gamers come up with this type of technology at their disposal. And I mean in terms of like esports, for instance, 
you have a chance at becoming a, a professional gamer. And it's not just with one game. They have several games now that are out there and available. A lot of the popular titles. And I, I for one, am just really happy that, to see that. I, I think for the longest time, people like you and I, who have been in gaming for a really long time, we saw the enjoyment. We saw the value in what gaming was. Gaming itself it was no secret that they were for a while rivaling what kind of uh, gross income Hollywood was making. And then at one point they tied Hollywood and then they surpassed the amount of money that Hollywood was making. So clearly there is a huge vested interest in the activity of gaming itself. And it's just, I don't know. I think it's really cool to be able to see how you have these, these behemoths like Google with their YouTube, you have Amazon with uh, Twitch. Now you have Microsoft and Mixer. I mean, essentially you have uh, just, just these huge technology companies. And really I think Apple is the only massive company that I don't think really has to my knowledge, some kind of, of live streaming gaming platform. But I think that they're probably looking into it constantly to see what they can do. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, I don't know if Apple's going to do that or not. I don't think that they might at some point. But when you think gaming, I might be totally wrong. But I don't, I don't think gaming and Apple kind of correspond. When you think Apple, you think high quality software for movie making and sound editing and programming and you know, educational type of stuff. You don't really think of Apple as, oh, yeah, it's like the best gaming platform ever sort of thing. I mean, if you were to think of a gaming computer, what the first thing that comes to my mind is like Alienware maybe. And I'm not a gaming PC person, but um, when I was in college, I had buddies that did gaming in PC, uh, or excuse me, gaming on their laptops, and they had like these ginormous laptops were like, Whatever was in those things, they're like, yeah, it's just a totally big gaming PC. It's better than my desktop. It's better than anything. It cost me three thousand dollars. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's awesome, cool. But and it was always something that was not Apple. Mm. So with Apple and movies, I can kind of see that. You know, Apple and games. Mm, I don't know. See, I think there is a chance that. At some point, Apple may want to get involved with it. I, like I said, I think that they're still they're they're always last to market. They're they're, they're never trying to to be first on anything. But they also spend a lot of time with uh, making sure that their their products are really good quality. Google, for instance, is the latest big tech company to start dipping their their foot pretty assertively into the whole gaming industry with their Stadia system that they're planning on releasing at the, I think it's this year, isn't it? Like uh, the end of this year. Something. So it's going to be interesting to see how that whole thing plays out. But I mean, I could totally see Apple having some kind of streaming platform themselves that would be within the same vein as like Twitch or Mixer or even YouTube itself. But what kind of hopes do you have in terms of uh, what the future might hold with gaming and uh, just these, these streaming channels. Do you, do you foresee that there will be a lot more gamers out there that will reach the level of success that Ninja has, or do you think he's more of an exception to the rule? I think it's a little bit of both. 
I think with every game, you're going to have your pro players. And with your pro players, we're going to have some personalities that work well with others and some personalities that aren't as attractive. And when some games come out that have lasting value, then they'll be popular. And then at some point, they'll kind of fizzle out. And then there'll be a next big game with other pro players with pro, pro players with personalities. And... <laughs> <laughs> And then someone else will take the mantle and, and continue it on. I don't think this is the the make-all be-all. I think, I think that, I mean, with like Halo, you're going to have some of your really good players. And I think with Overwatch, you're going to have some of your very good players. I mean, Overwatch, you have like sponsored teams for crying out loud. People getting paid 50 grand just to compete. So, I mean, yeah, it's not millions of bucks, but when you're, you know, a young guy in, in college or high school, 50 grand, hey, not bad. It's true. It's very true. You know, I'm looking at the the, the current uh, 10 most popular channels on Twitch based on their follower counts. Uh, starting at number 10, you have Dr. Disrespect at 3.46 million followers. And and he's real fun to watch. I've watched him a couple of times. I mean, he, he's got a, a fun personality. He's got a fun mustache. <laughs> he does. He's a tall guy, by the way. Have you ever seen him stand up? No, I can't say. I, have I think he's at least 6'5". It's probably If yeah. not taller. He's tall and slender. <laughs> number nine is TSM uh, Daquan at 3.56 million followers. Uh, number eight actually is not a person, but a studio. It's Riot Games at 3.7 million followers with their League of Legends. Uh, number seven is Dakotas at uh, 3.75 million followers. Number six is Tim the Tatman at 3.77 million. You know, what's interesting is that these numbers are pretty close in line with each other. There's really not a, a disparaging just chasm, I guess you could call it, between the... Chasm. Yeah, exactly. Um, Summit 1G is 3.86 mil. So then, you know, they're they're out of the sevens anyway. And then um, going to number four, TSM uh, Myth has... Okay, now this is where you start to see this is more of a, a jump. So we had 3.86 million followers. He has 5.1 million followers. So now we're starting to see... Okay, yeah, the jumps are getting bigger. So number three is TFU, which is 6.21 million followers. Number two is Shroud at 6.45 million followers. And of course, the massive jump is Ninja at number one, who has 14.37 million followers. And that's only on Twitch. Remember, on YouTube, I read that he has somewhere in the vicinity of 22 million subscribers on the, on that channel as well. So that's yet another source of revenue that he's able to take in. And it was, I just can't believe how every one of these people are, they're basically in their 20s. You know, you may have a few that are in their 30s, but I mean, really, I mean, they're really young and they're they're pulling these kind of numbers, which means that they're also pulling in the sponsors. They're also getting, like I said, those different um, passive sources of income. It really is a, a very exciting time right now to see how this ends up playing out. And I think really all that matters is whether or not you're awesome at a game or not. I think that's the biggest thing. I do think there are other attributes that are important, such as, you know, obviously your personality. You don't want to come across as being a jerk or being too arrogant or whatever. And I think what's interesting is when you watch some of the esports, you have professional gamers on T 
teams and they're very good at what they do, but you're not really, at least I personally have not seen a breakout of sorts with different players on different teams as it applies to like this top 10 list that I just listed for you in terms of like, you know, if you were looking, if you were watching out uh, overwatch and you were watching the, the Houston outlaws, you know, is there one person on that team who's like kind of like the Justin Timberlake of the boy band that breaks out and all of a sudden goes solo and has all this crazy following? I don't think there is anybody who has done that yet. And it's not just with Overwatch, but also like if you're, you know, watching League of Legends or watching StarCraft or whatever. I mean, yes, you do have certain teams of people. You do have even like when it comes to StarCraft, for instance, you have just one person against another person within that area itself and Korea. You have a certain level of celebrityism, but it's not on the same level as these guys who have done it from the beginning as just a, a one man show. I think you're right, Russ. Really? I think you're right. And why is that, Steve? Because I think you're right. Well, when you're right, you're right. When you're right, I think you're right. When I think you're not right, you're definitely not right. Do you think that there's <laughs> going to be any kind of burnout with this whole thing? Doubt it. Like, do you think there'll be a point where all of a sudden um, it'll it'll lose its luster and, and gamers will just go back to playing their own games and not care how people play Perhaps. I mean, there's there's been some... You see, there's like the haves and the have-nots with, with Twitch and this streaming. So you have people who really want to make it big because they really enjoy gaming and they want to be a pro gamer and they're probably very, very good at the game they're playing. But if they don't have that X factor, then they're not going to get the sponsorships. They're not going to get the ad revenue. They're not going to get the subscriber base. You know, they're not going to get much. And so to live off that, it's going to be very, very sparse. Versus some of the other guys who are, I mean, they got it all. I mean, they, you know, and they got the subscriber base, they got the ads, they got whatever they want. Uh, and so, I mean, I'll, like for me personally, I can't spend a whole lot of time on on Twitch because I want to play the game. I don't want to watch somebody else play the game. I want to play it myself. And so the more time wasting watching somebody else play, like if I don't really am, am entertained by their personality, I mean, I want to laugh. I don't want to sit there and just kind of sift through if they're playing a level I want to watch or uh, if I like their playing style or I, I don't like their playing style. I kind of want it all. I want to learn like how to be a better player in a certain game, but I also want to be entertained. I want to laugh. Sure. And if I'm not getting all that, then I'm just going to leave. Or I'm just going to play the game myself because I am I know I'm going to have a good time with it. I'll just make myself laugh in the room by myself. <laughs> <laughs> and tell myself I'm great. Yeah. You're so awesome. I know. Thanks. <laughs> you agree? Yeah. You agree? Yeah. All right. I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. No, you don't. Yes, I do. <laughs> Somebody else pick up my controller. Another little tidbit here that uh, reinforces what we're talking about is that Ninja reportedly earned $1 million to play Apex Legends on right. the game's launch day, proving just how valuable Twitch streamers have become to the video game industry. I mean, again... Well, certain Twitch streamers. Certain ones, absolutely. It's not just anybody, but at the same time, they have proven a model where, once again, if you're really good at a, tip or a, a type of genre of game... There's serious money to be made. It's no laughing matter when it comes to, oh yeah, you know, we'll, we'll pay you like minimum wage and you can play this game. Like, no, like 
you have, and, and I think, I think this speaks more also to, um, social media influencers. You know, if we were to go beyond just the gaming, um, streamers out there, if we're looking at what has transpired at E3 over the last couple of years, we have seen large publishing giants like EA, for instance, bring in YouTube influencers who, yeah, they'll play games, but they're not like, like dedicated, like players like Ninja or Dr. Disrespect or whatever there, but they have a certain fascination and they definitely see value in bringing those types of people who do have large followings into their presentations We've never really seen that with the exception of if they bring in like a celebrity, whether it's from, you know, the sports arena, like an NBA player or NFL player onto the stage to promote a particular title. Or if there's a movie actor that comes on stage or or a director or producer or something of that sort. And it's to be expected because they do have a large following. They do have that street cred, but it's interesting how there, there is this, this big movement that, Again, I think it's super cool to allow just normal folks who happen to be really gifted at doing something a chance to make some serious coin. I think I think it's just it's just nuts. <laughs> I need to find a game that I'm like super amazing at and see if I can try and, and make uh, just a, a fraction of what some of these uh, big time kahunas are making you know what i'm saying Steve? yeah you got a library here russ i, I think what's going to take more precedent is like actually starting a game <laughs> <laughs> that you paid top dollar for that's collecting dust Hmm. absolutely well i think what i need to do is find see when, I, when it comes to ninja for instance it was the perfect storm because fortnite was a game no one had heard of before it was made by epic games so you know it's going to be good it comes out on the scene. It ends up being like the most popular title that just, it just, I think it, it kind of dethroned overwatch as kind of like the first person shooter that everybody loves to play. And then Tyler comes in, that's his real name and is Tyler. Tyler. I think it's his, if I remember correctly, his full name is Tyler Blevins. Um, he comes on the scene. He's really good at the game and, there you go. Like all of a sudden, like, like he's starting to attract viewers and he's, you can tell, I mean, that the dude is sharp. Like he's been able to brand himself. It's not just like, Oh, Hey guys, how's it going? I'm going to play uh, Fortnite over here. You want to join me? Cool. Like he really, if you look at everything he's done, it's been very methodically and meticulously planned where you can buy merch like t-shirts and jackets and swag and stuff that has his kind of logo and branding and stuff on there. When he's about to stream, he really has all of the necessary production value components in place. He just, he really understands that this is his time to shine and good for him for doing so because it's just, it's reinforcing more and more of just what it is that he brings to the table. So, I mean, now he has a, a huge check from Microsoft and <laughs> he seems to be really happy about it. So, you know, I think uh, we, it goes without saying we, we wish him the best and, and we'll be watching to see uh, how the, the next phase of his career plays out. So did you have any concluding thoughts, Steve? No, maybe we ought to uh, check in the mixer, Russ. I think it might be worth a view or two to be able to check it out. You know, it would be really cool is to have Ninja on the show at some point. Yeah. I think it'd be great to right. sit him down and 
let him uh, tell his story and profile him a bit. I yeah. think it'd be fun. I think he, I think he won't think twice about it. I think he'll just jump right to it. I would. Well, I mean, he's got to buy his own plane ticket though, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're broke. <laughs> yeah. That wraps up this episode of Joying Asm. Make sure you tune in next week. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out Patreon.com/slash Joygasm and consider becoming a monthly contributor. You'll get exclusive perks and early access to the show. Not to mention, it really helps us continue doing what we love to do. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. Last but not least, search Joygasm on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. And maybe Mixer. I don't know. Oh, who knows? (laughs) We'll see you next week. 